Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down. And God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarah. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. This is the word of our Lord. 
Well, good morning, folks. Uh, it's lovely to see you. If you don't know who I am, and my only claim to fame, at, flame, to fame at Christchurch is that I'm married to Anna. Already I've done it, the, the camera crew. I'm going to stand here, I promise. I do this every time, and I watch them flinch, and I feel so sorry about it. I'm going to do my best not to move. That wasn't exactly a lie, but it's never going to happen, is it? You know that. Yeah, my only claim to fame here is that I'm married to Anna. I used to be a vicar, which is why I wear a dog collar. I do a different sort of job now, um, and occasionally I'm allowed out and I'm allowed to preach. Um, the only, and there are very, 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 very few drawbacks to being married to the curate at Christchurch. But the only one that I can name publicly is um, that when a sermon series involves a complicated text, my name appears next to it without consultation, but with a, a kind of cute smile. And that preps you for, <laughs> true story, that preps you for the text we'll be thinking about today. We're at the penultimate week in our sermon series on names of God, and you'll know that today's topic is El Shaddai. El Shaddai. Uh, one of the names of God that we find in the Old Testament. In fact, the first use of that name is here in Genesis 17, which Will read so brilliantly for us, uh, and it appears from nowhere. Many of you, if you've got a Bible, will have seen the translation. Uh, God says to Abram uh, in chapter, uh, verse 1 of chapter 17, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. So before we try and make sense of that text and complicate it a bit, I wonder if I could ask you a question. Let's imagine, I'm trying to keep my feet still, let's imagine that uh, you're walking home after church, uh, perhaps you're on the bus or you're walking the dog this afternoon, you're out for a picnic, and somebody sidles up to you and says, hey, you're one of those weird Christian people, aren't you? Um, who is God? Who is God? I wonder what you might say. Some people are looking at their shoes very quickly, so I can't catch their eye. I'm a teacher by training. That just draws me in. It's like, it's like blood to a shark. I can smell the fear. I'll do my best not to. But I wonder, anybody, what might you say to somebody who said to you, who is God? Or who is God in the Bible? Yes, good. I'm glad you're silent because it's not an easy question. Go on, right at the back. You have to shout for me. Creator of the universe. Brilliant. So who is God? God is creator. What else? Anything? God is Father. God is Messiah. Great language from the Bible that helps us to tell something of who God is. No, you can't cheat. You were here earlier. That's not fair. Revealed to us in Jesus. He's on, David's on the same wavelength now, Carrie. Revealed to us in Jesus. What else might you say about who God is? Yeah, right at the back. You have to be loud for me. God, God, super God. God, God, super God. That was Paul's text from last week. El Elyon. Will? God is God and we are not. God is God and we are not. That is a very helpful reminder, isn't it? Thank you. Any more for any more? Love incarnate. God is love incarnate. Incarnate meaning in flesh, carne, like chili con carne, but don't eat Jesus in quite the same way. So God is love enfleshed, meaty love. Grab that for free. Um, it's actually quite difficult to answer the question. What we've done, if you listen to the list that we've said, we've said something about God's attributes and, and God's actions. So God is creator. God is Savior or Messiah. God is Father. That's something about um, what God has done 
and a little bit about God's attributes. God is love. God is God's self and we are not God, which in one sense is perfectly logical and in another tells us very little. And that's not to criticize. It's an excellent answer. I'm going to say more about that in a minute. In scripture, the basic pattern of answer to the question, who is God, goes like this. You get a name of God followed by some kind of story or some kind of account of what God does. And the reason for that, that's where Will is actually a genius, and the reason for that is in Scripture, the names of God are frequently absurd. They're frequently mind-bending. Think, for example, of Moses and the burning bush. This is like the example of that, right? Moses is in the wilderness with his father-in-law's sheep. He's a bit of a scumbag, actually, in the story. He's not a good guy at all, Moses. He's a murderer. So he's hiding in the wilderness with sheep, working for his father-in-law, having been raised in the royal palace because he's a bit of a scumbag and he's got to go on the run. And he's wandering along and he notices a bush on fire. Actually, not that weird. In the desert, it gets so hot that dead wood catches light and it burns. What's weird about this one is the bush isn't on fire. It's not consumed. And so he scratches his head and he thinks, cheese for breakfast coupled with a midday sun, might be seeing things, better go and check it out. Takes a walk. And what does God say to... Well, he starts talking to a bush, just to fill in a few blanks in case you're wondering, which could be the cheese for breakfast or the midday sun. Turns out it's an angel of the Lord. God starts talking to him and Moses says, who are you? And God's response is absolutely clear. I am who I am. It's not a Liza Minnelli number. It's a genuine response. I am who, some of you get that, some of you far too young, others a bit too old, pitching it perfectly. Um, I am who I am. And Moses says, um, what now? And there's a bit of an exchange between Moses and God, where Moses is basically saying, listen, if I go back to the people in captivity and I say to them, I am sent me, it's not going to go very far, mate. What we need is a bit of evidence. I need some proof. So Moses and God have this exchange where God gives Moses the evidence he needs to prove to people that even though the word I am doesn't make any sense, what God does is enough to convince them that he's on their side. And that biblical pattern of a name of God that's a bit mind-bending, coupled with seeing what God does, is how we understand who God is. So in this narrative of uh, Genesis 17, which comes before the Moses story you'll have worked out, um, but it's easier because the Moses one makes a little bit more sense. In this narrative, we get that same pattern. God appears to Abraham, not Abraham yet, just Abraham, and says, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I am El Shaddai. Now, the difference between this bit and what comes in Exodus 3 with Moses is that in Exodus 3 with Moses, we know what the Hebrew means. It means, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. Tenses are a bit confused in Hebrew, present tense and future tense. But it basically is translatable. El Shaddai is a headache. So in Hebrew, there are no vowels, there are only consonants. And that means some words, depending on which vowels you slot in, can have different meanings. And El Shaddai is one of those. So, there are four ways to translate this text. Some people, and most Bible translations, go with Almighty God, because it's kind of cool. 
but it's only one of four ways. I'll let you guess which one is my favorite at the end. It will be obvious. The first one is El Sade. Sade, not a 90s R&B singer. Again, references are on point today. Um, Sade means wilderness, the god of the wilderness, or the god of the deserted place. And that's where Abraham is, actually, physically. He's in a place... A slightly deserted place. There's nothing. He's left home and he's on a journey. He's traveling. And it's in the wilderness, in the darkness, that he meets God and God appears. And so it's almost as if God pitches up and says, I'm the God of this place, El Shaddai, the God of the wilderness. We'll see more of that in just a minute. Uh, the other way to translate this is El Shaddai. Uh, well, the Hebrew is El Shaddai. The root word, and it means mountains. And so you might have heard sometimes in some translations, this is the God of the mountains, the God of the high places. And it's meant to communicate strength. It's also meant to communicate something of God's prowess. So if you know anything about the ancient Near East, um, they used to build places of worship, sanctuaries on mountains. Sometimes they would build altars on mountains. And it was a sign of closeness to God right through the Bible. Amazing things happen on mountains. You've got the Mount of Transfiguration. Think of Moses and the Ten Commandments. Think of, um, uh, of uh, the city of Jerusalem built on Mount Zion. This sense of closeness to God as you go up a mountain. So it could be that this is the God of the mountains rocking up. The big God. The God that you get close to up there has come down here to where you are. And drawn close. Abram. So pay attention. I'm usually up there, but I've come down here because we've got business to do. So the God of the wilderness, the God of the mountains, El Shaddad. El Shaddad is the God of power, almighty God, the strong God. It's a kind of play on words, though, in Hebrew that you don't see in English. It kind of means this. Nah, 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 nah. My dad is bigger than your dad. Right? My dad is going to batter your dad. My God is going to break your God's nose. It's got a kind of playful but serious undertone to it. El Shaddad, the powerful God, the plundering God, the God who's going to smack your God in the face, knock him out and take over, right? So here, this God, the powerful God that's bigger than all the others, rocks up to Abram and says, listen, you came from Ur of the Chaldees, full of Babylonian gods. Stuff that lot. I am El Shaddad. I am the big God, the big daddy. I have come to bloody the noses of all the others. You're dealing with me now, Abram. Not those other gods that you've heard about. With me. Finally is a, a kind of couplet or triplet, El Shad-I. Uh, um, um, there is no polite way to translate this into English, but I'm going to do my best. It means the God of amplitude. Are you with me, brethren? The God of amplitude. The... Um, the nourishing God, the comfortable God, the God it would be very nice to cuddle up close to on a cold winter's day. The God of large breasts, for those of you who are not keeping up with the analogy there and can't see me from the back. 
It means the many-breasted God or the God with enormous breasts. That's the literal translation. What it actually means is the God of nourishment. The God, even more literally, it's the God whose breasts never run dry. El Shaddai. In other words, there is always enough with this God. This God is your provider. This God is your nourisher. He's your carer. This God loves you. It's a beautifully feminine image of God. (laughs) I mean... You know, yeah, it is. It is beautiful. It's odd, but it's beautiful. Please don't, let's not have any of those pictures in church. I don't know what I'll do with myself. But the, 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 the enormous breasted God, the God who never runs dry, the God who's always there to provide, the God who loves you like a mother. It's a beautiful image. So you can pick one. I'll let you figure out which is my favorite. El Shaddai, El, uh, the God of the wilderness. El Shaddai, the God of the mountains. El Shaddad, the God of uh, power. And El Shaddai, the God of uh, provision of nourishment let's keep it clean which one of them is the best translation for what's going on in Genesis 17 haven't the foggiest haven't a clue honestly don't know I'm principal of a theological college and I have no idea but I will tell you this If that biblical principle stands, that every time you get a name of God, what you see in the story that follows helps us to make sense of what that name means, then in this story we see all four aspects of God played out in the covenant made with Abram. God meets Abram in a wilderness place. I don't mean physically a wilderness place. It is actually geographically a bit of a desert. But he meets him in the wilderness of Abram's own life. If you know the story, Abram has been conscious of God's promise and realized as he's gotten older that he's not going to have many children. In fact, he's getting on a bit. And so in the previous chapter, in chapter 16, he's um, taken somebody else's advice, not God's, had a, a relationship with his servant girl, and Ishmael has been born. And God turns up and says, Oi, that was not the plan. I didn't need your help. Thank you very much. It was all in hand. It's why I'm God and you're not. And Abraham sort of looks at his feet and shuffles around. Oh, Abraham shuffles around a bit and says, well, I was just trying to be helpful. Thought you might have forgotten the whole promise thing. It was starting to look like a bit of a wilderness in my life. You promised me descendants. I'm an old man. My wife's an old woman. We didn't think it was possible. Nice young servant girl, very fertile. Thought we'd be helping you out, Lord. And in the wilderness of of Abram's own stupidity, in the emptiness of what seemed to be God's promise, God turns up and says, don't try and be the answer to your own prayers. Don't try and do my job for me. Your job is to trust me. Why? Because I'm God of your wilderness. I don't abandon you in your wilderness. I don't abandon you in your lack. I'm here. I'm El Shaddai. I turn up when you think all hope is lost. I turn up when you think you're in a barren, empty, desolate place. This is where I will be, for you and with you, Abram. It's a brilliant moment. It's a kind of comforting, telling off sort of moment. You know that like, look that your grandmother gives you? You know she loves you, but you're in trouble. I am El Shaddai. Stand in front of me, Abram, and be blameless. Listen to me. Follow me. Trust me. I'm the God of your wilderness. When it looks like everything is dead, 
I am in the midst with you, and I bring life. El Shaddai, wilderness. El Shaddai, the God of the mountains. In Scripture, mountains are significant places of meeting, but also they're places of false gods. So you'll notice in the story of Josiah, for example, a famous one. Josiah, when he becomes king in uh, two kings, is it? He runs around knocking down all the high places, all the false gods, all the places of sacrifice and altars. And he says, no to all of that stuff and fix your eyes on God, on Yahweh, um, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right through the Old Testament and into the new mountain places are places of encounter with God, but they're also places of purity. You have to cleanse them in order to fix your eyes on the one true God. When, Abraham, when God appears to Abram, he says to him, pay attention to me, I'm with you in the wilderness. He says, and we're going to cleanse the mountains. In other words, all of those other distractions you see around you, all of those other gods that try and pull you to one side, no more. I will be your covenant God. That means you fix your eyes on me because I am sticking with you like glue, mate. You haven't got a chance of getting away from me because I'm going to stick with you like glue. I'm El Shaddai, I'm the God of the mountains. I'm bigger than that lot out there. I'm your God, and you will be my people. It's a promise. Now, Abram kind of screws this up, because he laughs in God's face, which, mm, not, not to be advised, please don't do that if you can help it on a general basis. Laughing at God, less, less than good, shall we say. Is that fair? Abram laughs in God's face, and God replies, Oi, laughing boy, when this actually happens, and you give birth, your wife gives birth to a son, you are going to call him laughter to remind you of what an idiot you are. So he does. He calls him Isaac, the one who laughs. I feel it a bit from Abraham because you can imagine, you know, scratching his head, looking at his wife, thinking, if you see my missus, she's 90, mate. She ain't going to give birth to anything. And God's saying, remember who I am? Remember I'm El Shaddai, I'm the God of the mountains. You're dealing with the big boy now, the big God. None of these distractions you and me, I promise to you that you will be the father of many nations. You commit to me. We're in covenant relationship. There is no way I will renege on my promise. Abram looks around and he sees all the ways in which God cannot accomplish what God promises. And God says, shut up, you idiot, and watch this. The God of the wilderness is the God of the mountains. The God in our place of lack is also the God who steps in and makes promises to us. The powerful God, Shaddad. Well, you see it in that story with Sarah, but not just in that story with Sarah. You see that it goes on. Through this tiny, insignificant bloke, old, weak, stupid, faltering, God brings about a people to bless the world. I don't know if you've ever looked in the mirror and felt weak, faltering, old, a bit daft. El Shaddai, the God of power, the almighty God, doesn't need you to be perfect, like he didn't need Abram to be perfect. In fact, he didn't even need Abram to trust him, because when Abram forgets to trust God, God delivers anyway. All he needs you to know is that this God, El Shaddai, will deliver on his promises. He's powerful. Where we see a no, if God says yes, there isn't a no in the world that can get in the way of God's yes. Not in the world, because he is El Shaddai. And then the God of provision. In the covenant, God says, I will be with you, Abraham, 
always. You can't get rid of me. I will stick to you like glue, and I will provide for you in your wilderness and in your mountains. I will provide for you when you're losing faith and when you're full of faith. I will be your nourisher and your nurturer. You will find that I never run dry. I never run away. I never give up because I am faithful. El Shaddai, the God of the wilderness, the God of mountains, the God of power, the God of provision. What's really nice about this is this isn't some kind of Old Testament idea for an Old Testament people. That God who meets us in the wilderness, well, he really does meet us in the wilderness, right? John's Gospel tells us that the light came. I'm moving, I'm sorry. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. Jesus comes into the wilderness of our lives because he is El Shaddai. He is God with us in the wilderness. He's got us when it seems like we've got nothing. We've got him. He is El Shaddai, the God of the mountains, the God who claims our attention above everything else and says, fix your eyes on me and all shall be well. He says, fix your eyes on me and don't be distracted by all of those other false gods, those false words, those false promises of the world. Fix your eyes on me and you shall have life in all its fullness. He's the God of power. But it's not a power that you and I might recognize. There's no um, mighty army riding into battle. This is the power of God writ large in blood on a cross. The power that overcomes hatred and death in self-sacrifice and service. The power that is the power at work in us. Resurrection power. Because the one who was dead could not stay dead but now lives. And by his spirit lives in us. This is the God of provision. The God of faithfulness. El Shaddai who will not abandon us. But in Jesus Christ is closer to us than a brother than we can possibly imagine, who makes his home in us by his spirit. El Shaddai, the God of the wilderness, the God of the mountains, the God of power, the God of nurture and provision. This God loves you. And this God loves the world in which we live. And through the likes of you and me, insignificant people like Abram, he chooses to bless the world in which we live. El Shaddai in the Old Testament. El Shaddai in the New. El Shaddai in the church. El Shaddai for the world. Let us pray. I'm just going to hold a few moments of quiet. And then Alec and the band are going to come and play gently as we pray. Just in the silence... I wonder how the Holy Spirit might have been speaking to you this morning. I wonder if you're aware of your own wilderness. If you're in a wilderness place. And what it might mean for that God of the wilderness, El Shaddai, to be with you. That you're not abandoned or on your own. He is present. Perhaps you're being distracted by all those other altars on the other mountains around you. That Jesus figures in your life, but you know there are so many other words, so many other false promises that lead you astray. 
What would it mean to know that El Shaddai is with you this morning, calling you into covenant relationship with him? Perhaps you need to see some of God's power, that you feel your own frailty and vulnerability. You need El Shaddai, the God of power, to show up and to do that miracle, to do that thing that you cannot possibly imagine, but that in his grace and mercy is possible. Maybe you're hungry, spiritually, emotionally, physically. You need El Shaddai, the plentiful nurturer, to come and nourish your soul. Wherever you are this morning, you can tell him, because he is present in resurrection power by the Holy Spirit. As Alex drums gently, 